Marini's Media. Totally Football Show. Today, the big news from around Europe in the Bundesliga. Oh dear Cologne, as the Haaland show continues. In Serie A, San Gennaro works a miracle in Naples. And in La Liga, Barca on their arse at Valencia. Plus, we talk goals. Why Atalanta score so many? Why Spanish sides now score so few? Plus, we get a quick Pardew update and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, Euro-minded listener. Welcome to a brand new day here with your friends at Totally Football Show, the European edition. Today we're getting our continental news and views from Julian Laurent. Hello. Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Alvaro Romeo. Hello. And an empty chair. There's no James Horncastle here in the studio. What's that, producer Charlie? You've got him on line one. Hello, James. Hello. James Horncastle, where are you? I'm in Florence. What are you doing? Yeah, it's raining here as well. But what's what's happening in Florence? Oh, all sorts. I'm here for some meetings. Went to go and see Fiorentina earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, was it the Derby, the Rome Derby yesterday? Yeah. Um, so you know, packed schedule, Jimbo. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about some of those delights. Let's, as is traditional, begin with a little whip round of the big stories from around the glorious continent of Europe. Julian, what you got for us? I've got another Neymar's brace. He's now scored 47 goals in his 50 league appearances since he moved to France. Right. And he says himself he's in the best form of his life. So. Wow. A Neymar brace is almost as surprising as Toulouse losing again. Which <laughs> yeah. they did. Which they did. Yeah. At Lyon, 3 0. Okay. Uh, great. Looking forward to all of that. Rafa. I've got an Haaland brace. <laughs> Two goals for him in his second appearance as a substitute. Uh, in Dortmund's 5-1 destruction of Köln. But I guess the bigger news in, in the context of the league is Leipzig losing 2-0 away to Frankfurt and Bayern cutting the deficit to only one point Just thanks to point. a 5-0 win wow. at home to Schalke. The leaders losing in the La Liga as well, Alvaro. Yeah, there is another brace, but from Maxi Gomez, the Valencia striker, uh, just to send Barcelona uh, on the floor. Barcelona has lost the leadership in La Liga. Real Madrid gained it after beating Valladolid in what it was a very poor uh, weekend in terms of goal scoring, which is something that I will probably have some time to explain later. Yeah, nobody scoring any goals in Spain. eh? Mm -hmm. We'll, We'll dig into that one. Uh, later on. And James, as you mentioned, there was the derby, but also there were big, big shocks up top. Yeah, Juventus had the chance to go six points clear after Inter drew again, uh, this time with Cagliari. Um, But Sarri, on his return to Naples, well, it didn't go as he wanted. Although he did say, if I was to lose to one team, it would be this one, my old friends back in uh, the uh, Bay of Naples. But uh, um, we also had some Quite magnificent stuff on Saturday night, James. We've been talking uh, on this rip around about uh, players scoring braces. What about that Josip Ilicic hat-trick for mm. Atalanta in that 7-0 win? And one of the goals of the seasons from him as well. Ilmatic. Brilliant. Well, let's uh, let's actually start off today's roundup in Italy. We're just one burst of crazed Italian commentary away from Syria. Un passizzo, un passizzo clamoroso, un passizzo clamoroso della Roma che regala il pareggio alla Lazio, un passizzo assurdo da parte di Paolo Lopez. The sweet sounds 
of Sunday's derby in Rome. Uh, James Horncastle, you were there. A match which went uh, swiftly from the sublime, that magnificent uh, homage to the Sistine Chapel that uh, Lazio's uh, ultras put up, uh, to uh, the ridiculous. I mean, are you talking about the uh, the choreography that they attempted before with the, where everyone trying to turn their phone lights on to spell out Forza Lazio, except it just didn't work for them? Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> Probably for the best. Um, but yeah, this derby, it felt very much like uh, the first one um, back in, what, late August, early September, where one team absolutely dominates and then comes away thinking, how the hell did I not win that game? Um, that time it was Lazio, this time it was Roma. Um, and the reason why they didn't win that game was because of a howler uh, from Paul Lopez, who's been so reliable for them um, so far this season, such a kind of integral figure in their kind of build-up and passing game. Um, but when it came to using his hands to just deal with a uh, a routine kind of header from one of his defenders uh, on the corner, Davide Santon, uh, he just made a real hash of it and let Lazio into a game which really they'd had no right to be in. It was uh, quite surprising how quiet up until then and for the rest of the game really that Chiro Immobile, Joaquin Correa, uh, Milinkovic, who kept giving the ball away around his penalty area, and, and Luis Alberto, where it's one of the poorest Lazio performances I've seen in a long time. And although they're still unbeaten in 15 games, James, it's been quite a rough week for them with them uh, going out of the cup uh, to Napoli. Uh, they're, of course, the holders, and, uh, and then obviously dropping points in this game, although mm. still a seven point gap between them and Roma. Well, indeed. Their run of 11 straight uh, victories coming to an end with this one, but they get a point thanks to Paulo Lopez, who sees a ball that was effectively going out of play, punches it up into the air, back into play, and then kind of stumbles into Chris Smalling, enabling uh, Francesco Acerbi to just basically poke it home and then uh, thank his lucky stars uh, for that wonderful gift. Aklav Hanev says, after his bright display on Sunday in Derby della Capitale, has the undertaker risen again? How important was, was Under here? Under was magnificent. Um, he was very poor in midweek uh, in the game against Juventus. Um, Roma went out and played really poorly in that game. And it was in part because he didn't really help his fullback out. And Juventus kept getting in on that side. It was complete reverse here. Um, Under uh, gave Senad Lulic a torrid time. Everything he tried came off and there were some really nice skills um, in there, sort of really quick Cruyff turns. Um, and he was yeah, sort of creating stuff as well, not just doing those kind of Under things, which is cut inside and then just shoot from miles out. Um, but you know, I think he, he was the one who put the ball in for Justin Clivert, Clivert who went down there was a penalty given and then the referee went over for a video review and decided to overturn it, which was one of the kind of controversial hinges on which this match swung. Um, but uh, yeah, Under, I think, staking his case to stay at the club because there's been some doubt around his future um, this window. And I think even though Zaniolo's out injured, he'll perhaps look to nail down that place uh, on the right wing in the team, even though I think they've... They're trying to sign a couple of players from Spain, one of which from Barcelona, who'll be playing on that right-hand side as well. All right, then. Uh, just a quick mention on, on the subject of derbies and that kind of thing. The second part of our Galazzo special on uh, Francesco Totti will be out first thing on Wednesday. The uh, mm. first part is already out, of course. Loads of other things to talk about uh, from the City Hour weekend. As we mentioned at the top, Inter drawing again and Juve lose their second game of the season. Now, this is a way to Napoli, uh, where... Gennaro Gattuso had lost four of his last five games in 
in the league, but they shut Juve down. What happened? Yeah, uh, I think it was a combination of uh, a good game plan from Gattuso. Um, I think uh, Diego Deme, who we've spoken about on the show before, uh, joining the club this window, he just gives them that little bit of extra bite um, in midfield, which they've been lacking. Um, but again, if you look at that Napoli eleven, James, it was it was thirteenth going into this into this weekend, um, and there was no Koulibaly, no Allen, no Dries Mertens, um, and I think sometimes when you're without players of that stature, it can galvanise a team. It can make them buy into a game plan more than uh, they might, might, might otherwise will because they recognise they're going to have to be greater than the sum of their parts to beat um, Juventus. And as I said, you know, again, it's it's been a very positive week um, for them, knocking out Lazio in the in the cup, although they're a little bit fortuitous in that. Um, but this was a, a very deserved uh, win because I, I just think uh, Juventus didn't really show up and, and Sarri particularly was very critical of how passive the team were, um, you know, sort of half-heartedly, you know, going between pressing and standing off Napoli. And, and while Ronaldo got that consolation goal, they only really had one other chance, which was, again, uh, Ronaldo, great bit of skill on the break, feeding Higuain, who, you know, that was the only chance he got in the game against his former club. Um, but you could say another game this weekend decided by some bad goalkeeping. I mean, Chesney, I thought, was culpable, at least on the on the first goal. Moret did not do uh, particularly well on uh, on Ronaldo uh, when he pulled one back. And then we've mentioned uh, Paulo Lopez's um, performance. You know, we're yet to get to Salvatore Sirigo, who, to be honest, um, actually, uh, it could have been 10-0 without Sirigu uh, when Atalanta played Torino, but he was still... Um, Caught napping when uh, Ilicic decided to score from what? Pretty much the halfway line. Yeah, he's no, not was. napping though. He's not napping, right? Yeah, he's not napping, but he's off his line. Yeah, but uh, as you would be as a keeper, I don't think his position is is out of order. You know where he is, where the ball was. You know, he was just there. It's just I think Ilicic so is too intelligent this is a, for a him. A free kick that's given about a couple of meters inside yeah, the Torino on the half. Line, on the halfway line, if you want. Right. And uh, Ilicic, basically, who's not one necessarily for doing things quickly, decides that on this one he's he's going to step <laughs> he's up. He's so and take quick. It he's so close to the ball, and then yeah. he reacts so quickly that I think you know everyone. But it's a perfect strike. It's the incredible. Ball. It's really incredible. Ilicic, intanto di prima con Sirigu fuori dai pali e segna segna il 4-0. Il Torino in confusione. Ma che cosa è successo? Ilicic. So this is part of a 7-0 win for Atlanta away. In Turin, their biggest win in, in their history in, in City and Torino's biggest defeat uh, in the league. And uh, Josip Ilicic continuing his incredible season. Eight goals in his last five games. Well, it's 11 in his last 10, um, James. He's been in sensational form really since the, uh, the end of November. And I think it's one of those things where Jean-Pierre Gasparini is absolutely right in saying that this team, um, the three players it can't do without are uh, Ilicic, Zapata and Papu. But we've seen they've coped fine without Zapata for, for, for much of this season. When Ilicic is in form, he's devastating. He won one of the penalties as well. Um, they got two penalties in this game. So, you know, if he'd taken that one, he could well have been uh, celebrating a poker 
Um, yeah, but I, d- I just love the fact you, you mentioned James that uh, he's not always the quickest. I mean, around the training ground in Zingonia, he's he's known as uh, Nonno Granddad <laughs> because uh, he just sort of ambles around as if he's on a Zimmer frame. Well, T. Wallace says, uh, Joseph Ilicic, where on earth did he come from, and how has he flown under the radar for so long? He has been very much a, a kind of niche delight for 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 the conoscenti, hasn't he? For for many years now. Oh, yeah, Ilici Clone. I mean, he was one of those um, players signed by Zamperinos Palermo, which had a great record of, of, yeah. of finding talent, which we've all come to know and love over recent years, be it you know, Javier Pastore, be it Cavani, um, players of that ilk. But I seem to remember they played, uh, I think, Maribor in the Europa League preliminaries one time, and Maribor played really well in that, and uh, Zamperini just decided to buy half the team. Um, and Ilicic was one of those players, but he's he's kind of skipped around from, uh, you know, from Fiorentina, for example. I think he was due to go to Sampdoria, then went to went to Atalanta. There's no doubting, um, yeah, his his technical ability. But again, you look at uh, Atalanta's record, James, uh, over the last few weeks. Three of their last five games, they've won five nil against Milan, five nil against Parma. It's the second time they've scored seven goals in one game this season, the other being against Udinese back in October, you know, to find uh, another team in Italian football history, the last team to have scored seven or more goals twice in a season, you have to go all the way back to Zenit Zeman's Lazio wow. um, 25 years ago when they beat Foggia 7-1 and Fiorentina 8-2. Oof, man. All right. Well, listen, let's finish off then uh, with Inter's clash with Cagliari. And Ashley Young's start. Did you see Jules? Did you I see saw, Ashley Young? He gave an assist as well. It's a lovely cross. It was a lovely cross. Right Wasn't it side, good? Yeah. yeah. The rest of the game, not so much, though, eh? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, into again, uh, dropping points. And um, there's been some mercy from Juventus. But you, you see, what is it? Um, four draws in their last six, I think, now. And uh, it's just how they tire um, late on in games. Because... Um, they keep getting to the 70th minute mark, often in the lead, and then throwing away those points. They conceded what, in the 75th minute against Atalanta, 77th minute against Lecce, and 78th minute in this one. Yeah, they were lucky to get a point in that game against Atalanta, if you remember. I mean, the main story here, I suppose, there are a few um, strands to pull from it. Rajana Inglan on his return to San Siro deemed uh, surplus to requirements um, coming back to haunt the Nerazzurri. Um, I think, you know, given how much money they're investing in this window and the feeling that they need to invest in midfield, yeah, it's 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 fair to ask, should they just not have kept Rajana Ingeland? And then, of course, how this team just imploded um, in, in the final 20 minutes with Lautaro Martinez um, getting sent off and Antonio Conte um, as well, which... You know, given the tirade that uh, Lautaro launched against the referee and Conte as well, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much, how long they're banned for because the derby against yeah. Milan um, is coming up. Milan still unbeaten um, since Ibrahimovic joined the club, and I don't think they played particularly well on Friday night against Brescia, but there's certainly a lift um, in that club at the moment, and right. uh, yeah, they certainly like it to continue yeah that's coming up uh, the round after next and uh, Milan as you mentioned with the win away at Brescia Uh, Brescia had uh, Massimo Cellino sat on the bench helping out manager Eugenio Corini which is uh, helpful helpful pick the team chose the subs um, nice and they lost and they lost (laughs) although they to be fair Brescia looked good and it was really Donnarumma who uh, who was the star for uh, 
for the Rossoneri. But uh, as you say, it's uh, shaping up to be an interesting uh, derby. Brilliant stuff. James, we'll let you go for more Florentine delights and, and look forward to hearing all about that when you return. But, Pleasure. Uh, I will think of you as I, you know, sort of get my knife and fork into a nice bistecca a la Fiorentina mm, this evening. Okay, then. The rest of us will move on. Up next, it's Bundesliga, Fundersliga. Hmm. It seems as though Serie A is a bit of a dumping ground these days, doesn't it? Where all the Premier League's footballing flops are sent to get them off the wage bill. It's literally a weekly reminder for Man United of all their very expensive mistakes. But thankfully, with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all your mistakes cost you as much. Get money back as a free bet on football every week. See on site for the latest. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Rafa, again, a dramatic weekend in the title race in the Bundesliga. First off, uh, as you mentioned at the start, Leipzig losing 2-0 at Frankfurt. Yeah, a bit of a surprise. And uh, Julian Nagelsmann was very, very unhappy with his team laying into them afterwards, saying the attitude has been wrong all week, the training wasn't right, um, questioning their appetite, you know, coming up with this mountaineering metaphor. He says, if you want to go all the way to the summit, you can't just stop a little bit before, have a drink and enjoy the view and then go down again. You want, you'll have to want to go all the way and try harder because the implication was that Leipzig having not quite the same players as let's mm. say Bayern and Dortmund, they have to utilise their potential and their opportunities more and, and just work harder. And he was very, very unhappy, even though they played well enough, I think in the first half, they didn't really do anything in the second half. And in the end, Frankfurt managed the game really well and, and scored a late goal to make it two with Kostic late on and were never really in doubt after the break. Right. This, this is the, the Leipzig team who've been scoring at least three goals a game for, for, for months now. It's curious actually how uh, mountaineering seems to be such a, a, an excellent kind of source of metaphors for football managers. I wonder if mountaineers kind of when they need a bit of a push or when they're trying to explain some approach to fellow mountaineers they use football football analogies you think not Jules yeah, in France in, in France and in Spain we use a lot of cycling as well as, Do, uh, as right. metaphors for football I believe right even in, in uh, Germany and England it's it's mountain climbing hmm. or marathons there yeah. you go athletics the field of athletics yeah. like Christian Gross has, of course has the all time best mountaineering metaphor don't know if you know he showed the Spurs team a Toblerone and he said, this is the sort of mountain we have to climb. Right. About an inch tall. OK. <laughs> Leipzig's defeat means that, the, yes, they are just one point ahead of Bayern Munich and only two points ahead of Borussia Mönchengladbach. And am I right in saying that those are the next two opponents for Leipzig in the Bundesliga? Yeah, it's a huge couple of weeks for them coming up. Uh, a real test of their title credentials. Uh, you're right. Uh, those, those are the two opponents. I mean, Gladbach did well enough. Uh, you know, if you talk about Illich's goal... Florian Neuhaus yeah. stepped forward. Mm. Um, a wonderful goal from, from open play, you know, because it's easy to do from free kicks. Um, controlled the ball, one touched, and kind of went round himself and instantly shot it over uh, Robin Sentner, who'd come out earlier for a header that went a little bit How astray. How far out was he? I'd say about a good 45, yeah. maybe 40, 50. I was say, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, 
But it was it was great because you see Tentner kind of struggling back and flying off and just totally misjudging and both he himself. The ball and, into the net. Yeah, yeah. almost, nice. almost. Yeah, it's, it's it's a really great goal, and it was an important one because Gladbach had struggled against this mine team, which even though they won three one, makes people perhaps suggest that their run is perhaps not quite as sustainable. Or to put it differently, they're probably not really in danger of winning the title just yet, even though they've made great progress under Marco Rosa. Bayern and Dortmund, however, judged on their performances, which were really, really convincing in different ways, right. look like they can really take advantage if there is a bit of weakness from Leipzig. Okay. Leipzig, who uh, picked up the highly rated Spanish youngster Danny Olmo from Dinamo Zagreb, who we enjoyed in the Champions League. Uh, Gautam Kadahar saying, does this current Leipzig team need to improve in their possession play? And is that what almost been signed uh, to provide? It's not exactly that player, really. Danny almost started as a winger, uh, playing for Barcelona. And we all know his story. At 16 years old, he moved to Zagreb to play for Dinamo. And uh, the games I've seen him, which are about 10 entire games, no more, he's rather a... A player who can play behind the striker or he can play in the wing. And of course, he's got the skills to to keep the ball. But I think that he's more of a, of a vertical player. And uh, he likes when the game has some trepidation, to put it some sort of way. Uh, he's more of an attacker than a midfielder. Yeah, I, I don't think the possession game has been has been a problem for, for Leipzig. It was just one of those days where they just lacked a little bit of energy and, and creativity and, and maybe some ideas. Didn't really have that much to do with being not good in possession, a positional sense, or, or not keeping the ball well enough. There was just that extra little bit, bit, bit missing. I mean, what Olmo does give them potentially is a bit of width because they're quite a narrow side. They mostly play a 4-2-2-2 without any real wingers, um, which gives them a lot of overload in, in important areas. But I think to mix it up a little bit, to have somebody who's a bit more uh, 1v1 on the side, um, but also moving in, as Alvaro said, is, is a good idea and uh, the, the, the interesting thing was that Bayern apparently were also after the play and tried until the very end to capture or hijack that deal uh, but in the end uh, it had progressed too far for them to intervene but I think it could be the sort of player that makes a real difference for Leipzig maybe not over the course of the next few games or so but it could win them the odd game, which might just be important this year. I see. Both Bayern and Borussia Dortmund coming up with uh, five goals in their victories. Bayern putting uh, five past uh, David Wagner's Schalke. They looked really, really good. As good as they have done under Hansi Flick. There was a touch of the old Bayern, the Jupankers Bayern, the Pep Guardiola Bayern. It was just total dominance. You could argue that Schalke, with their attempt and sort of clumsy way of trying to press them high open the door for them because once Bayern were in midfield, Schalke just didn't have enough men behind the ball to contain them. But this was a Bayern team that was playing without Coman, without Gnabry, without Lucas Hernandez, without Niklas Sule at the back. Um, and still, they completely took them apart. And the fact that you had the emergence of Leon Goretzka in a new, slightly more advanced role as the third midfielder ahead of Thiago and Kimmich is another boon for Bayern in this particular game because we haven't really seen that much of him since he moved to Bayern in, in August 2018. And this was the sort of game, the sort of performance against his old team, no less, uh, scoring a great goal in the process that you know, would suggest that here is another guy that can make that number 10 position his own and give Coutinho and Müller a hard time right. getting that slot back. So they're a point back from Leipzig. Four points off the top are Dortmund 
who have Erling Haaland. Holland come! Holland is vorbei! Holland is vorbei! And the winkel is so spitz! And he makes it again from this super winkel! What's the latest on the incredible Erling? I mean, incredible is the word. He once again came on with just over half an hour to go. He once again scored two goals, not three this time, but the finish from the second one was just outrageous. He goes past the keeper and you think, oh, he's gone too far, but he just turns around and nonchalantly... It's on the goal line, essentially. Yeah, just passes yeah. it in. I mean, Müller has scored a similar goal like that, but he hasn't looked nearly as cool and controlled as, as Haaland has. And the guy just makes these runs and everything about him is efficient. You know, he, he uses his body so well. He's much quicker, I think, than people realize, especially for a guy who's 194 centimeters tall. He, he looks the complete striker already. And, you know, so far, Dortmund have been saying, well, you know, he hasn't really trained properly in the last couple of months. We need to ease him in, etc. But, I mean, what happens if he's going to start for a change? Can you recall seeing a debut like this before, seeing a player with this much potential. Who would you compare this to? I think Obama Young had a pretty good debut when Batshuayi came mm. to Dortmund as well. He was pretty good, but, but, but in a different good. way, not this good, I think. And the, not that young either. That, that's the thing. that uh, I've seen, for example, Romario having a tremendous start at Barcelona a long time ago, but Romario was already a star. He was 27, 28 when he arrived to the club. Mm. I, don't know, I cannot recall anything like this, really. Only Kylian Mbappé, really. If you yeah. take that age, I think the only one you can compare is Mbappé bursting onto the scenes in the Champions League against Man City in that last 16 and then scoring in the quarterfinals against Dortmund in both legs and that kind of stuff. But that's the only two. I, can, I, I mean, Messi and Ronaldo are you know, in early, but that kind of, yeah. I guess to an extent, you could compare it to what Jadon Sancho did when he arrived and he's also been in extraordinary form. Well, Jaden Sancho took a bit of time before he really got going at Dortmund, but you're absolutely right as far as the last couple of months is concerned. He's been Dortmund's best player, most consistent player. Uh, scored again, assisted again. I think he's 13 in goals, 13 in assists now in all competitions. And, I mean, the hype is already very big, but if it wasn't, then this would be the sort of player where you think, oh, hold on a second, you know, what's going on here? We've almost gotten used to the fact that he's so good right. at this age, but he's been he's been absolutely superb. Is the Bundesliga actually just a really easy league? Is that what's happening? <laughs> These teenagers going there? Yeah, I mean, it's all, you play farmers and hairdressers yes. and plumbers. I mean, what is true is, of course, that a place like Dortmund, I think strikers, attacking players will, will shine more than in other places with maybe a more defensive setup or a coach that's different. Dortmund play with a lot of attacking players. They play with uh, a defence that is often shaky, which then means that the team have to go and score even more goals. So one thing kind of feeds into the other. But you're surrounded by by brilliant players. I mean, you know, he's learning from Brunt, from, from Goetze, from Hazard, from Guerrero, um, nice. from Royce. It's not bad. It's yeah. not a bad place to make the next jump up. I am so worried about the PSG Dortmund Champions clash already. I don't. I've got a bad feeling about it. The only good thing, as I said last week, is that they they don't defend as well as they attack, and thank, thankfully, otherwise they would win the Champions League. But I think it's, it's a game that will finish four three in the first leg in Germany, and then another four three or four two or something like that in the return leg in Paris. They should be worried as well because Neymar is playing at a certain level. Yesterday's goal. Don't jinx him. Don't jinx him. <laughs> okay. Neymar seems to be very good. Right. At the okay. minute. 
not very good right now are Cologne, beaten here by Dortmund and Mainz and Werder Bremen, all of whom big clubs, all of whom in the relegation uh, battle at the moment in the Bundesliga. How, how much risk are, uh, is there that one of them will drop out? Well, Bremen look, look under a lot of pressure because Paderborn were winning. Uh, I mean, won the game, uh, which was a bit of a surprise, but Bremen losing again, 3-0 home to Hoffenheim. The sort of result where you really begin to wonder. You know, Stuttgart went down thinking, we are Stuttgart, we are fighting for the Europa League, we're just momentarily indisposed. And then you get to the, you know, two, three days before the end of the season, you think, oh no, we might well go down. And I think Bremen increasingly find themselves in that in that position. So out of the teams you mentioned, I think they're under, under most pressure. But of course, Paderborn and Dusseldorf, um, you know, would, would love to trade with them right. because they're even worse. Okay. Up next, we'll be hearing about the, uh, the people battling the fear of the drop in the Eredivisie. That's right, Pardew and Powell. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. That's right, everybody. Eredivisie update. Degrati spoke. Ghostbusters, Pardew and Power. They got off to a great start, as we discussed last week, with that wonderful welcome from the Den Haag uh, supporters and a win against bottom of the table, Valvik. Uh, but this time they got slimed, you might say. A 4-0 defeat by Utrecht. Ouch. So, Which means they're back in the bottom two now as well. Back in the bottom two. Not saved by his penis this time. Penis is in the bottom <laughs> two. <laughs> Proved impotent this time. <laughs> Indeed. Oh dear. Uh, big game coming up next weekend. Ajax, PSV. And, and then Hag against uh, Vitesse as well. Oh my goodness. Home, yeah, so yeah. big game for them. Huge. Ajax lost to Groningen. That's our Edovisi roundup. France next. Neymar, Neymar avec André, Verratti, Neymar, Neymar qui va armer la France Et quel but Quel but du génie brésilien Lille PSG, Jules, let's talk about it. They lost this fixture, what was it, 5-1 last season? Last season, yeah. Not this time. No, Bernard being sent off uh, last mm. season as well. And this time it was a very convincing, controlled performance uh, with a fantastic Neymar who himself admitted after the game on, on French television that he was in the, in the best form of his life. Right. Uh, he scored 47 goals in his 50 league appearances. And before you give me the Farmers League and it's too easy, blah, blah. There's a debate in France right now, is he the best player that French football has ever seen? Better than Ibra, George Weah, Ronaldinho, Platini, Zidane, who, whoever. He's in that kind of form where he's, not, he's just not playable. And Lille tried everything. And he was just in another league like he was the weekend before right. and the weekend before. And for the last three months, really, he's been immense for them. Jules is worried about the, the Dortmund clash. How worried should Dortmund be about PSG? Well, Dortmund should be worried because Neymar is obviously wanting to put himself in the shop window with his great performances, <laughs> oh. you know, looking for a big move. and um, For a bigger club, you mean. <laughs> and the Champions League is the, the time when everyone is, will look at these sort of players from the lesser leagues and... And figure out if they are, you know, maybe cut out for a, for a, for a bigger side. But no, of course Dortmund are worried because A is Thomas Tuchel, who left not on the best of terms, mm. um, and he will come back with with a side that is superior. Uh, there is no doubt mm. about that. That uh, is a more complete side, have more depth. And Dortmund, we've already talked about this for the last I don't know six or eight months, um, have been terrible at the back. So it's got all the really the worst combination of of as far as the Germans are concerned. But what they can do or hope to do is to somehow release that trauma or, you know, push certain buttons that will get PSG thinking about what happened to them before. 
right. in these situations. Um, how they do it, I'm not sure. Maybe they'll you know have some Barcelona flags that they can hang up for Manchester United shirts yeah. in the stands something like that. I don't yeah. know but uh, they will they will try to play on that psychological factor quite a lot okay and, and Neymar obviously this is the time of the year where he usually gets injured last right. season it was at the end of January the season before as well so for, for PSG to keep him fit mm. and really maybe not expose him too much in the next few games because they're so ahead in the league They've got the, the, the French Cup coming in midweek. I don't think he'd be involved in that. Uh, and, and then just protecting him if they can before before the Dortmund game because that's where you want him at, at his best, really. And you don't want to stop that momentum because everything is going so well for him at the moment. It's his birthday coming and this time he hasn't planned a big party. There was also that tribute for, for Kobe Bryant after his second goal where he, he did a 2-4 for the number 24 of Kobe, which uh, I think meant a lot to him. And I think it was shared a lot as well on social media and everything and yeah he's just in a good place right now so PSG mm. hoping to benefit from it PSG in a good place as well now 10 points clear of second place Marseille who are held to a goalless draw by Angers uh, Lyon have moved up to fifth with a 3-0 defeat of Toulouse Toulouse have now had 12 straight defeats if only there was something in their name that suggested <laughs> they would yeah. have a run like that is that a record though 12 straight defeats I, I think they're one short so it's 11 in the league uh-huh. in a row right. plus if you had the cup one that they also lost through that run it's yes 12 in a row they change managers Denis Zonko come in doesn't really make any difference they sign uh, Kalinic the, the Aston Villa goalkeeper who oh, yeah. made his debut and obviously considered three goals. So at least they're, they're trying to change something. It's just not it's not going their way and they're, okay. they're surely going to be relegated now. And for Lyon, uh, they had a bit of a scare. Martin Terrier, their forwards, uh, fell on the floor on the ground and had a fainting spell. It was okay in the end and he went to hospital and it's, it's all fine now, apparently. Uh, and Still worrying, though. Yeah, it's huh? very worrying, especially when you're watching the game. I was just watching on television, but you could see because the ball was out for a throw-in Right by where he was, so he was on the, in the shot really, and and it was quite scary, and I think everybody was a bit shocked. It was okay. They played really well. They won, and uh, Carl Tokoe Combi, who they just signed on loan from Villarreal, who used to play for Angers in France, where he had a very successful career there, uh, scored as well on his debut. So it's all looking really good for Lyon. I think they will finish in the top three, and uh, they will they will come back and probably overtake Rennes and, and Nantes, and who are ahead of them right now, but. It'd be interesting to see how they do as well against Juventus in the in the Champions League yeah. because the Juventus are still against Napoli or the one I've seen for the last few weeks which is not playing well. It's a better team than Lyon but Lyon on a good day I think can cause them a few problems. Interesting. Nantes losing this weekend at home to Bordeaux in a match in which as you mentioned last week they uh, they were paying their respects to uh, poor Emiliano Sala who uh, lost his life a, a year ago. Yeah. And uh, there's a massive display of his portrait uh, around uh, the stadium. Yeah, choreography in the ground as well and special shirt for both sides because he played for both sides. First for Bordeaux when he just moved from Argentina and then Nantes before, obviously, the transfer to Cardiff. Uh, special shirt in the Argentine colours, uh, which was very emotional. I think the non-player never really recovered from how emotional the whole build-up of the game was right. and everything. It was it was a poor game. You could tell they, they, they lost all intensity. Uh, they had tears in their eyes and, and, and everything. So it was a game they had to, to play and they lost towards the end with the Jimmy Brion goal. But it was a game that they didn't really want to play, you could tell. Mm. Stephen Sweeney says, I'm heading to the Stade Velodrome next week to see Marseille against Toulouse. What should I expect and how is Kevin Stroopman getting on? 
Well, good news. It's a good stadium to go to to start. Uh, the problem is they face a really bad Toulouse team, so at least they're going to win and gonna see, he's going to see some goals as well. Uh, Strutman, he's been in and out of the team. He played at the weekend, uh, but he didn't start the, the previous league game that they had. The problem with him is that he's on huge money. Rudy Garcia signed him after working with him at Roma because he needed some of his players in that team when he arrived in Marseille. And now... I don't think Villas Boas has the same faith in him than Garcia had before, and there's all the options in midfield. So he might not play when our listener is going is going over, uh, and they they're struggling to offload him as well. So, but oh. it's still, it'd be still a good good game, good atmosphere, and Marseille should win because Toulouse are so bad. So. Right? Yeah, you might see Toulouse break the oh, league yeah, record yeah, for consecutive well, yeah. defeats as well. Fantastic. Up next, La Liga. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Well, Alvaro, my Spanish is not what it was, but that sounds to me like Barcelona getting beaten and Real Madrid moving three points clear at the top. What's going on? We saw that coming, uh, the Barcelona defeat against Valencia. Because, yeah, I think so, because against Ibiza on Ibiza on a Wednesday, um, Barcelona wasn't convincing at all. Uh, in the cup, they managed to win just in the last minute with a brace from Antoine Griezmann. But the truth is that Kike Setien has just arrived. He's just a parachuter at Barcelona. I mean, mm. he, he's there, but he hasn't had any quality time to train with the players, to implement his system. And God, he's changing the system because he's playing with a 3-5-2, with Ansu Fati playing as a right winger. Or a, the whole wing is for him, basically. Uh, Luis Suarez is not there. Uh, Sergio Roberto is playing as a um, centre-back, which is a position that he doesn't know how to play. And obviously Valencia is a very composed team. Uh, came top of the group with, uh, with Chelsea and Ajax in the Champions League. So that game was never going to be easy. And yes, Barcelona lost the game. And uh, it happened something that uh, it was going to happen. The fact that Kike Setien was going to get a lot of criticism from those who don't like them, uh, who don't like him, uh, who are a lot in, in Spain because he has been always a huge defendant of uh, possession football to the point that sometimes he's been a little bit... Uh, perhaps uh, too dogmatic uh, to the eyes of managers like Simeone or Bordalas or managers that want this uh, defensive type of football. Kike Setien this time said that the team needs to do better with the ball because mm -hmm. they had a lot of possession against Valencia, but basically they didn't do anything with the ball or they didn't have any, any edge. And the fact is that it was all down to Lionel Messi. So after all the investment this summer, it was uh, still Lionel Messi, the only one who was taking shots on target, who was trying. So yeah, this Barcelona looked like the old Barcelona and it was a very good weekend for Real Madrid because... Number one, it was a difficult game, the one they played against Valladolid. Valladolid also got a draw at Santiago Bernabéu in the first round of La Liga. And they won with a goal from Nacho, a player who is never uh, one of those stars of Real Madrid, but he's a very important team player. So this victory for Real Madrid was uh, one that definitely puts them ahead of Barcelona. Mm. And uh, I think that it will have a psychological impact as well. All right, their 11th clean sheet of the season. We were talking last week about how strong defensively they are. It's the third time this season that Real's opposition had been uh, uh, denied even having a shot on target. Random Dude says, similar to your PSG Dortmund chat earlier, uh, with Madrid having stabilised compared to how they were when the draw was made, what's the panel's opinion on City's clash with Madrid? Uh, Real Madrid now. Yeah, 
I watched both teams a lot, and uh, even though Real Madrid has a terrific uh, defensive record and all that, I, I'm going to go for Manchester City. I think that uh, Manchester City has a tendency to to concede goals in Champions League in crucial moments. We saw that last season against Spurs, and uh, it's been something that has happened to Guardiola's Bayern and Guardiola's Manchester City in the past, but still, they've got more options to score goals. Real Madrid's only option now seems to be Karim Benzema at the minute, and he has scored only 13 goals in La Liga, which is all right to his standards. Right. But I don't think that that is enough to intimidate Manchester City. They've got Emerick Laporte uh, back in full fitness. Right. Uh, Benzema and Nacho, of course. You're talking about yes. goals options, yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, across town at Atletico, oh my word, what a terrible week they're having. Defeated by Eibar last weekend, they're knocked out of the Copa del Rey Thursday night by Cultural Leonesa and then held goalless by Leganes this weekend. What's going on, Alvaro? A really bad week for Diego Pablo Simeone's men against Cultural Leonesa, Atletico de Madrid. Uh, just lost because they've got a... Who are Cultural Leonesa? Uh, they are a team from the northwest uh, of Spain, right. next to Galicia. It's uh, a good name, though, isn't it? Why do they call themselves Cultural? Well, are they uh, all left-footed or what? <laughs> Maybe they like reading. I don't know. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, but the cultural thing is something that uh, few teams have in their mm. in their name. For example, there is a team in the Basque Country called the Cultural de Durango, for example. So it's not, the fir- it's not the first time I've ever heard that. Okay. And yes, they beat Atletico de Madrid. There are few doubts about the Diego Pablo Simeone's project at the minute because it seems that the reconstruction of the team didn't work well. Mm, let's not forget that Atletico de Madrid is starting sometimes this season with six or five players that weren't there last season. Joao Felix is not uh, playing well at all. In fact, uh, he, he seems to be a player who has lost uh, his mojo. And I don't think what's going to happen with Liverpool, but it looks like Atletico de Madrid should be incinerated by them. Really, all the, yeah, Liverpool is much better than them. Right. And if Atletico de Madrid is not good, strong defensively, and if they cannot score goals, I believe that they have scored only 22 goals this season in the league, wow. uh, how can you harm Liverpool? The only scenario that I can think of is uh, a nil-nil draw at Wanda Metropolitano in the, first, in the first leg. And then if Atletico scores one goal at Anfield, right. then Liverpool has a problem. But Liverpool is much better than them now. What about a Cavani hat-trick, assuming that Ooh. deal goes through? Chris Benson says, will Cavani be enough for Atletico to make a title challenge? And is he eligible to play in the Champions League under the new rules? Yes, he is. Yes, yes he is. Yes, he is. And, and is he enough for them to make... Does uh, Diego Simeone's Atletico plus Cavani equal title contender? Not at all. Not oh. at all. Atletico de Madrid has only 35 points. And they also have Diego Costa, who will be back in February. Mm. And Álvaro Morata, uh, maybe he's not the best striker uh, or the striker we thought he was going to be, but still, he's, he's a decent striker and he's not scoring. And this is not only to, down to him, but also about the, the, the dynamics of the team. Again, uh, this is a team in transition. Despite all the, all the investment they have done, uh, they have invested money to replace some key players like... Uh, we all know who they are, but Godin, uh, Gabi, uh, Falcao, when he left, Diego Costa is not the same player anymore. Griezmann I mean, well. the Griezmann as well. Uh, but they they got very little money from them. Uh, for them, only for, Grie- for Griezmann, they got uh, a decent amount of money, very good one. And they have to make a team as good as it was before uh, in a very different market context. Now, if you want to make a Champions League 
winning team again, mm. you have to spend a lot of money. Right. And Atletico de Madrid, basically, if you check their investment and if you cross it over with their sales, pretty much is down to zero. So I don't think that we can ask Atletico de Madrid to be as competitive as, as Real Madrid and Barcelona are now. It's, okay. it's, it's unfair. If okay. you look at the expected goals, it's very similar to the ones that they had last season and this season before. They still create the same kind of chances. The thing is, there's, Griezmann is not there to score them anymore. And right. that's where you realize that the whole project was based on Griezmann up front and in a very solid defense. If you take one of the two out, but which is Edison Cavani, exactly. assuming that happens, is, is that going to go through this week? I think, yeah, it will definitely go through this week. Maybe tonight or tomorrow, probably more. But he hasn't played much in the last 10 months. Mm. He's been injured or he's been on the bench. So I don't know how physically he is and I don't know how quickly he can get back to his best which will be scoring those chances and they won't come there won't be many chances but how quickly we'll be able to to convert I don't know one out of two or one out of three to make Atleti the kind of team that they were before under Griezmann if he can mm. on, on paper Edinson Cavani is a Cholo Simeone uh, template player but at the same time it's what uh, Jules is saying that uh, he's not fit now I mean he's not 100% fit he hasn't had quality minutes on the pitch lately and number two is that Atletico de Madrid has like a an structural problem to attack and uh, I don't think that Cavani is going to solve that I mean right. you can score 35 goals in PSG if you attack that much but in Atletico de Madrid uh, maybe you have two or three chances per game so you'd better be very clinical Well what's up next for Atletico Madrid Cavani possibly making his debut in <gasps> the Madrid derby it's the game with Real next weekend Yeah there was one uh, two weeks ago as well and Real, oh, yeah. Ma- Real Madrid won it in the penalties so yeah this is a crucial game for Atletico de Madrid because another defeat will uh, obviously be very difficult to handle for uh, Diego Pablo Simeone and uh, their men. They've already dropped out of the, the top four. I mean, that's been an ongoing mm. story this this season, but just outside behind Getafe in, on goal difference now. Uh, yes, and Sevilla is the third uh, in the table. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think that uh, finishing in the top four is totally doable for Atletico de Madrid, but this is the lowest point of the Diego Pablo Simeone's era at Atletico de Madrid. This is for sure. What do you think is going to happen at the weekend then? Well, I think that uh, it's going to be a game with uh, a very short scoreline to start with okay. uh, because I think that Real Madrid doesn't score many. Atletico de Madrid is defensive. Real Madrid at the minute defends very well. Mm. And uh, I can imagine Atletico de Madrid trying to be reactive and uh, trying not to keep the ball and let Real Madrid do all the job and uh, counter-attack. That's more or less my uh, forecast of the game. Mm. Uh, but I believe that uh, the Spanish football has... Uh, fallen a little bit in quality. Generally speaking, it's not the best moment for Barcelona, it's not the best moment for Atletico de Madrid. Real Madrid is uh, top in the table, but uh, the amount of points they have collected is much uh, worse than they would have collected some other seasons. And this is down to a couple of factors. I mean, the rest of the teams seem to be slightly better now. Sevilla, Valencia, Athletic de Bilbao, uh, even Valladolid, uh, who is a team who is fighting for not being relegated, seems to be a very composed team. And also because there are no prolific teams in Spain I mean, in, in, anymore in terms of goals. Why do you think uh, that might be, well, Alvaro? It, because some of the Spanish teams, they follow a little bit the Diego Pablo Simeone template in terms of intensity, in terms of uh, defending first, the likes of uh, Eibar, Athletic de Bilbao, Getafe, Atlético de Madrid, they play like that. Then the the best scorers are no longer in, in Spain. I would say that Luis Suarez now with this injury, who is going to be out for four months. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo not being in Spain. Uh, in Spain. Uh, Lionel Messi not scoring many goals this season. I think that the best scorers are elsewhere now. And uh, Benzema, Messi, uh, Suarez, they are all over 30. So 
there are many good players in midfield, many good uh, defenders in Spain, good goalkeepers, but I think that uh, the best strikers are somewhere else at the minute. And the numbers uh, uh, speak for themselves. I mean, right, in, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, in the Bundesliga is by far the best league in terms of uh, goal scoring with uh, 29.26 uh, goals per weekend. Okay. Uh, then is Italy. Then is England. Spain is the fourth with 25.38 per weekend. And the last one, unfortunately for you, is uh, France in terms of goal scoring. Yeah, but we create loads of chances. We create loads of chances. Tactical chess. It's all about the chances created. Expected goals we first. Is that right? (laughs) (laughs) Just made that up. That's fascinating. Bundesliga Bundesliga is by far the the most prolific. It's been like this for the last few years. Yeah, but the the big difference being that La Liga used to be a high-scoring league. Farmers league. Not so much. Not so much, no. I think that uh, Michael Cox wrote something about this in Mm -hmm. The Athletic. Uh, He came to the conclusion that the most unique league... uh, was the Bundesliga in, right. in many ways because uh, for example it had a ridiculously low level of crosses right. uh, in comparison to the rest of the four leagues and also because uh, in terms of attacking football it was one of the most attractive leagues uh, much better than the, the other European leagues he knows his stuff oh, man. <laughs> you see well, what you've done now you see what you've done I created the monster you certainly have. <laughs> you fed it, at least, Alvaro. We'll talk more about uh, which league is going to have the best title race. That's uh, one of the many questions we'll be fishing out of our post bag uh, very shortly. First of all, though, it's the hour of Paddy Power. Good Narbon, good Narbon, everybody. I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power to go through the Euro odds. Lee, start in Spain. It's been a really, really bad start for Diego Simeone to 2020. Um, if he does move on from Atletico, where might we see him next? Yeah, it's almost unthinkable, the idea of Simeone leaving Atletico, but then again, some of the results have been rather unthinkable too. So this market is very speculative given how rapidly things change, but he will obviously be courted by the continent's biggest clubs even after a bad season or two. Surprisingly, it's Inter who currently make favourites for his next club at 7-2, although of course they do have a boisterous boss with a fine head of hair already in place. PSG might seem more believable when it's 4-1 to there is next employer. It's 10-1 to he takes international job next, or the same price he takes charge at Manchester United. Now that would be fun. Over to Serie A then, and uh, as James Horncastle has been saying, it looks like we've got a big five in Italy, so give us the odds please on the top four finish. And the title race too. It's all very novel over in Serie A where we normally mock them for its procession, but I guess it's our turn in England this season. Juve, Inter and Lazio though are done and dusted when it comes to the top four, we think. We're not even pricing them up. It's not worth it. After them though, things get real. Atalanta are the odds-on favourites to take the fourth spot at 1-2, to two, despite being a point behind Roma in the table. Instead, we expect football's finest social media experts to finish fifth. It's 13-10 to 10 we break the top four. And then it's Napoli who are best priced of the rest at 17 to 1. For context, Calgary are four points better off than them, but are rated as 100 to 1 shots. And finally to the Bundesliga, neck and neck between Lewandowski and Timo Werner at the top of the German goal scoring charts. So who is going to win the Bundesliga Golden Boot? Very, very tight with two absolute goal machines leading the way. And another one, you can't quite rule out somewhere behind them. We make Robert Lewandowski favourite to retain his position at the top of the scoring charts. It's 4-9. to nine. He's the Bundesliga's top scorer this season. Timo Werner's on a hot streak and it's 7-4. to four. He overhauls the Bayern man. Everyone else in the division is rated at 200-1 to one or more. 
with the exception of one phenomenal striker. Yep, Erling Haaland, despite having played barely an hour of Bundesliga football, is 100-1 to to win the Golden Boot. It would be ridiculous, it would be incredible, but he is both of those things, and we can't quite rule him out entirely just yet, mad as that sounds. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Out of it. Which out of Serie A, Bundesliga or La Liga do the panel think will have the least difference in points between first and second place at the end of the season? Who's going to have the tightest title race? I think it's Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's Top three separated by two points at the moment. Yeah, I still think Italy. Yeah. And it doesn't look good at the moment, but I think Inter might come back. Come back, huh? Um, I'm going to go for Spain. I think that yeah, uh, you know, you at, know. Atletico, Barcelona and Real Madrid are missing so much uh, that uh, it's going to be very low on points. They okay. are not going to go any higher than 82, 83. Do any of the leagues have a playoff if teams finish level on points? It's a shame. Love to see that. <laughs> OK. Uh, Andrew Brooks says, what's Julian Laurent's view on Sabri Lamouchi? How is he faring at Forest? Is he well regarded back in France? Was it quite unlucky the way he lost his job at Rennes? Yeah, he had a really good impact when he arrived. And then... I at think Rennes? He, yeah, Rennes, right. yeah. He did really well when he when he arrived in terms of structure and the ideas that he had. He's obviously still a young manager, uh, both in age, I think, and, and in experiences as well when he got there. And he brought a lot to that club. I think eventually his relationship, especially with the, uh, with the president, Olivier Letton, disturbed a bit the rhythm that he had with the team and that didn't finish well really between them and then he obviously got sacked and the guy who replaced him Julien Stefan who still then did an incredible job after after Sabri so maybe that tarnished a little bit what he did but initially he did really well and I'm not surprised he's doing well at Forest because it's it's a team that is very much his in the sense of you see the way they play it's exactly what he wants them to do there's no big stars there there's not much money to spend either but they work hard and they're well organised and maybe they'll be lucky at times but I think he's he needs a lot of uh, praise and respect okay good equally Richard and Matt Taylor and who else uh, Andrew Dyer all want to know what are your opinions on Leeds United new loan signing Jean-Kevin Augustin he is Paris born and bred. Is he? Yes. yes. That's all so, you need to say, really. Exactly. Yeah. Boys, he's, you know, just for that, he's, he's worth everything. <laughs> yeah. um, a big talent, really, really talented kid. Yeah. At times, not the best of characters. He had um, some issues in the front of the 21 in, um, national team setup. He, he had a few things like this. He left PSG to go to Leipzig because he felt that he was never going to get his chance there. Why, why have Leipzig let, let him go out? They just have a, a surplus of strikers and Patrick Schick recovering from his injury, mm. um, which kept him out most of last season. He's just, just seen him fall down the packing order. He was already sent out on loan uh, to Monaco mm. and I think was seen as a chance to, for him to sort of get his career moving again. Okay, yeah. what kind of striker is he? Often like a second striker. Yes. I mean, he's quite tall and quite strong, but is probably best when he can play off a a more forceful number nine and, and sort of be a shadow striker just in and around those dangerous areas. I'm nice. curious to see where Blesa will play him. If he will play with Patrick Bamford up front, for example, or on his own. He's he's worked a lot on his uh, link-up play and all of that, so he might be able to play on his own up front and link up the play and all of that, but... 
Raf is good. He's uh, Raf is right. Sorry, he's he's good as a second striker. He's very good technically. He has a good vision as well. He's he's a very interesting player. But Alvaro, one other thing which we didn't really touch on in your Liga roundup was the um, the issues off field. Well, uh, involving supporters, the the trouble outside the Mestalla in the Valencia Barcelona clash, but also the Iñaki Williams uh, abuse with the announcements being made about a racist abuse of the uh, Bilbao forward. Yeah, and uh, if you remember last weekend, uh, last Tuesday, sorry, uh, we were talking about the Nazi salute of the Atletico supporters yeah. in Eibar. And, uh, well, this is a, just a continuation of a number of uh, disgraceful things that uh, have been happening lately. Uh, with Iñaki Williams, it was when they replaced him, when they subbed him, he left the pitch from behind one goal. And on his way to the to the bench, he heard uh, someone insulting him, uh, racial abuse. And uh, then we got to know about that because after the game, he spoke to televisions and he, he, spoke and he really said... Well, I thought. He spoke really well, I thought. Yes, yes, yes. He, he's a very charismatic guy. Uh, he's invited to many talk shows and all that. Iñaki Williams is a proper character. Yeah, he's, a ni- he's a nice guy. And he, he explained what happened to him, that he, he heard uh, something really nasty coming from the, from the stands. And uh, I think that this has triggered a little bit of a proactive approach from La Liga, which is very good because... Uh, going to do? Uh, well, La Liga, number one, they released a statement condemning it, which is fine. But number two, they hinted that they are going to start a protocol of action when anything like this happens. Like having a system in place in which uh, the player has to explain it immediately to the referee and the referee has to obviously uh, pay attention to it immediately no matter what's happening in the game. So I think that this is a positive step, but what happened to Iñaki Williams is uh, awful. And I didn't like what... Uh, the Spanish vice president said, and I'm going to read his quotes um, uh, literally uh, because I don't want to make a mistake, but he said literally, I don't think it is appropriate to make this fuss from something that almost nobody noticed in the stands. I have the impression, reading the press, that the most important thing that happened in Spanish football last day is the shouting to Williams. And he asked, is this the most important thing that has happened this weekend? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, definitely. And he was like taking out importance from uh, such, an, such a terrible event that happened at the Espanol ground. Right. So I think that the Espanol should be definitely more strong and firm at the time of condemning what happened. Right. What's incredible is that La Liga doesn't have a protocol for that. So yeah. Iñaki Williams said to his captain, Ike Muniain, what happened? And then Ike Muniain told the referee and nothing happened. It was, mm-hmm. As we saw with England games or even in Italy and... Even at Spurs, with the protocol, whether it's different, your league one might be different than the UEFA one or FIFA one, but you still have a protocol in place. And, you, you know, you say this has happened, the game could stop, whatever. But in La Liga, there's nothing like Although that. Although there was yeah. an announcement of the PA, wasn't there? Uh, no, not this time. No. Was there not? not this nothing, time. No, nothing no, no. Happened. The, nothing happened. Nothing happened. I tell no. you one, there was an announcement. A month ago, when uh, Sosulia, the so-called Nazi Ukrainian footballer, uh-huh. um, oh, right. yeah. he, he received insults and threats right. from Rayo Vallecano stands. Um, there was an announcement that time, not this time at Espanol ground. And La Liga is asking for a protocol in this kind of situation. And he's calling the players union as well to work towards okay. this goal. Well, hopefully some better news on that front then. For the moment, that wraps it up for today's Totally Football Show. Podcast returns on Thursday with a roundup of the League Cup semi-finals and how West Ham get on against Liverpool and what delights await us in the Premier League this weekend. But for now, many, many thanks, Alvaro, for being with us. No thanks to James Horncastle for failing to turn up. Yeah, that's bad. Julien Laurent. Merci. 
You were here at least. Yeah. And Raphael Honigstein. Hello. And above all, you listener. Great stuff. Have a great week till we uh, speak to you next. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. listeners i'm caroline barker host of the totally football league show i'm joined each week by sam parkin say hello sam hi caroline by adrian clark say hello adrian hello and the bolton wanderers fan too not adrian but joe critty looking forward to league two yes <laughs> each week we go head first into the efl to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever ian holloway has said now from leeds to luton sunderland to plymouth swindon to stevenage and everything in between if it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered, haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy Knees Media.